0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hey, and welcome back. I've got my good guest back again, Miss Kelly Sear from the Diamond Arrow Group. And you've got a new buck out, don't you?
1: I do, I do.
0: Sharp women. You know, I was looking things up today again, and it has been nearly two years since the last time we talked. We did a podcast. It was my podcast, 25, um, on situational awareness. Can you believe it's been nearly two years ago since the first time we talked?
1: No, I can't. And I say that with with the whole pandemic and everything, I feel like I lost two years. I know, right. We really could have been talking last month, and it would still the same. It's a blur. Crazy.
0: I know. Yeah. I know. So we want to talk about your book. We've uh, got a lot of stuff to talk about, I think. But uh, again, you know, we we probably don't have to do a deep dive. If they want to know everything, they can go back to that uh, podcast 25. But just a little short intro on you and who you are and what you're doing. And then tell us a little bit about your book.
1: Sure. So, yeah, as a quick... 30,000 foot view. I started a company called the diamond arrow group five years ago now wow. um, because I had taken a self-defense class and when they made kind of that comment that involved an assumptive definition, you know, yeah. you don't want to get into a physical site. You need to be more situationally aware yeah. and then sent us on our way. And for me, I was like, okay, but what does that mean? What is, what am I looking for? How do I know if I'm looking for the right things? How do I know? You know, what I should do if I see something. And that really started a journey for me that led me now to the book, because as I was learning the information, it was from a very tactical or technical means. And I had to break it down and say, well, okay, how do I relate that very almost militaristic urban warfare mindset to my everyday life? I, you know go about my day and I have threats that I deal with. And so how can I correlate some of those foundational skills to my everyday life? And as I shared what I was learning, more and more people found me, um, found my social pages, found my website, found my newsletter. And it's really grown from there slowly and steadily. Again, with the pandemic that put a little bit of a pause yeah. for my work because i couldn't get out and train i couldn't get out and do classes and the silver lining was i got frustrated and said well if i can't do this then i'm going to write a book because i know this information still needs to get out there and so took that time of of frustrated not being able to go and turned it into a motivation to write a book and here we are you now i started that writing journey in january of 2021 And I can't believe it's been been that long long ago. (laughs) I know, I know. And you know, and that was the first attempt. And then I stopped for a while. Yeah. And then I really put the, put the pedal to the metal again last July. So really July of 2021 is when sharp women, the book started in the outline form, started in that brainstorming. Um, what, what do I want it to look like? How do I want it formatted? What are the most important stories? What are the top topics that I can share? And I had a word count limit. So it's interesting <laughs> to me because I could have written probably twice the size of the book, sure. but just in the constraints that I had. It, so it, it forced me to be very clear, very concise, very, okay, you have to focus. You can't go on and ramble about stuff for. Many, many words because you don't have enough words. So that was, that was actually a good thing too, having those definitive boundaries. And yeah, the book launched end of February in ebook format. It hit bestseller status in the ebook realm. And then that's awesome. You know, Amazon. Yeah. Thank you. Amazon has its processes. So it, then we were able to release it in paperback and it just released, I think a week ago in the hardcover format and. Oh, go
0: ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah. I actually went out to Amazon just earlier this week, and sure enough, there it is. I was like, cool, because you know I have the Kindle version of it, or whatever they call it, the Audible, yeah. whatever it is. But um, yeah, I saw that it's available on Kindle soft cover and hardcover, so that's great. Yeah, and all five yeah, star so. reviews, and rightfully so. Woohoo!
2: Yeah, Woo-hoo.
1: no, it's going great. The reviews, I'm. It's been very humbling some of the reviews and also affirming. Like, yes, I I wasn't crazy in thinking that other women wanted this information. And the way I deliver it, the way I tell stories, my perspective on things is helping and it is reaching the people, my intended market, you know, women who don't have a martial arts background, women who don't have a law enforcement or military background and still need this information. In a way that they can easily digest and apply. And that's really the feedback I've been getting. So it's been fantastic. Yeah. And I'm so excited. You know, it's, it's kind of weird because I had the big launch party on International Women's Day on March 8th. Yep. And it was great. We packed the house. We had music. We had, you know, I gave a little keynote. I had another friend of mine who had written a book give her keynote.
2: Nice. And it was a
1: big party. Yeah. And it was great. We were able to donate. You know, $5,000 for a local domestic violence shelter from the profits of the event. And it was, it was wonderful. And now it's kind of been zero to a hundred. And I'm just so excited to be proactively out there calling colleges, calling businesses, calling anyone and saying, Hey, just if you want a tool that people will actually want (laughs) and will actually Save their lives, potentially save their lives or lives with the loved ones. I have a resource that you can check out.
0: Yeah. Uh, you make a great point too And it's something that I've been trying to Just keep in the back of my mind As we go through on this journey Like I'm just an average Joe Right? Like I don't have former LE experience, uh-huh. military experience I'm not like some grand Master martial artist, whatever Like I, <laughs> I consider myself an average Joe and I think there's Such a need to reach That audience, right? And so it's great That you've been able to do that through this vehicle, right? And, you know, uh, reading the book, I've, as I was just telling you before we got started, like, I'm not a reader. Like, I have to really be into subject matter, or at least take interest in a subject matter. And so, you know, I knew that topic of situational awareness was of interest to me but I was like man I've got like five other books right now business related books that I need to be <laughs> reading and I'm choking on you know like I'm reading this uh start with why from Simon Sinek or however you pronounce his name if I yep. mess that up sorry but you know I'm reading on that I'm reading you know multiple things and I was like ah, oh, I gotta read one more and you know as I was saying I got into it and uh First of all, I didn't know you were boxed into the length of the book that it was. So that's interesting. But, you know, it's very digestible, 160 pages or so. But I remember Mm -hmm. getting into the book about Page fifty-fifty-five and I'd pick it up and put it down, pick it up and put it down. And I was digging it, you know, so far, but I just couldn't really dedicate, find myself committed and dedicated to getting through it. And then along about page 60-65, not that there was anything of notoriety there, because it's all pretty solid, <laughs> right? But at that point it was on a Sunday and I just plowed through the entire thing I was like wow that was and it was funny as I was telling you because in a message I don't remember if we were emailing or an Instagram whatever but you said you're going to get sucked in it's an easy read or something to that effect and sure enough I got sucked in and didn't put it down (laughs) Um, and and it's great And, and you know like I said it's a very digestible 160 pages full of fantastic stories that I think A lot you know I say this positively in the back of my mind I'm thinking kind of unfortunately but it's packed through a lot of notes and stories that I think more people than I would like to think can uh, relate to or know somebody that's been through something similar and for me being the male person you know I'm looking at this stuff for the first time going wow I'm I'm able to see or This is helping me be better able to see things from the other side of the table, so to speak, too, right? Which seems not to be – maybe I just haven't read enough things, right? But for me, it was kind of eye-opening to have the opportunity to spin the Lazy Susan and be able to better see things from a woman's perspective. So uh, as a man reading the book, I I had a lot of takeaways as as well, and that's what we're here to talk about.
1: Well, thank you. That's that's a huge compliment. I mean, that's that's awesome because I did write with the intent of women reading it, and I have had a couple men read it. One of which was my husband. Yeah, yeah. And that's know, that's, that's all great
0: compliment. reviews there, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You got to take a little bit of grain of salt with that, but even with his perspective, and he has the full twenty-year military background. He has the full you know current law enforcement background, yeah. and in twenty-six years, so he's. Seen a lot. Yeah. And for him to say, wow, that still helped me see things from another perspective is really uh, the ultimate goal. Because I think so much of difficult conversations come from lack of understanding the other person's perspective. And if we can say, hey, no, this is not you against me or us against them. It's, hey, here's my perspective. And I if you can understand it, and if I can help you see that perspective in a way that's not condescending that's not yeah you know like putting you on the defensive well then it reaches the goal that's what we want is then then men can be the those upstanders quote-unquote because they'll say oh now i understand understand why when a female says this or a female does this or responds this way there's more to it than oh she's overreacting or you're reading too much into it is like there's a lot under that to unpack. And while you might not have the opportunity to unpack or have the personal relationship with that person to understand their perspective, but at least you can say, oh, okay, well, now I have a little bit of a generic understanding from Kelly's book, that this is how women might see this. And that helps me help them.
0: Yeah. And that kind of triggers another thought that I had is that, you know, relationships are hard, right? Male and female yeah. relationships are hard. And a lot of that difficulty stems from the fact is that we're a lot different in many, many ways, right? And men like to complain that it's almost next to impossible to understand a woman. <laughs> and, I, and I and I tend to agree with that a little bit, being a guy. But, um, you know, I think the book – you know, when you're in a relationship and you're having that dialogue and back and forth and you're dealing with a le- living, breathing human being of the opposite sex, I think that's d- difficult in and of itself. And I don't know exactly how I want to say what I want to say, but the dealing with the actual relationship can be challenging right and it's difficult to mm-hmm. spin that lazy susan and see things from that other person's perspective in when you're dealing with the actual individual and the actual relationship but i think that was for me being a male trying to see it from the female's perspective for me reading the book it was a lot more digestible and easy to have those takeaways does that make sense like Mm -hmm. it's just an easier way to see the other side without having to have an argument over it. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, and that's the thing. This is like friend Kelly having a conversation versus your loved one versus, you know, that person that you live with. Like you can put the book down (laughs) if you don't like what I'm saying, but you can't necessarily not talk to your partner for the rest of the night, you know, or your life. So, No, that's that's awesome. And, you know, that's, like I said, the ultimate goal of the book is, like, let's have these conversations. We have to start looking and considering the way things look in reality and how they start
0: small. Yeah. And I think so much of it is empathy, right? Especially, you know, you asked me to think of this from the male perspective right i think the book could bring a lot of a lot more should i say uh empathy uh towards women and situations they find themselves in their perspectives and viewpoints on thing and on things and you know The as trivial as it seems, when I think about reading your book, there was a story towards the end, I don't remember exactly where it was, but it was the guy that was just, you know, my takeaway is he was being really insistent that he needed to be helpful to this lady that was stranded on the side of the road changing her own tires. And he was, you know, supposedly just trying to be helpful, right? And I get it. Uh, but then in, in there, you lay it out from what she may have been feeling and seeing in that situation. And holy shit, it just puts a whole different like, yeah, when they say, no, I don't need your help. It's cool to drive on, right? Because you don't want to creep them out, and you want to give them the chance, and they're okay, right? Like it was just—it was kind of an eye-opening opportunity, talking about empathy, right? Like trying to see it from the other person's perspective,
1: right? And and for the listeners, what what I love about that story, and I'm so thankful that it, I decided to put it in the book, yeah, is because I heard the story from the male's perspective, right? So. Little backstory, I was doing a training at a local company and this gentleman shared this story and he was a, you know, younger guy and he was completely coming from a, I was just trying to help. I, I, I was raised to be a gentleman. I was raised to help, you know, when I see someone who needs help. And so I firmly believe that he had complete good intentions in helping this woman get her tire changed. And so it was the opportunity when he told this story for me to say, Okay, let me give you a different perspective. So in the book, the female perspective is kind of me putting her in me putting myself in her shoes because I didn't actually meet her. I didn't actually know what she felt. So I was guessing and from the way he was describing her body language, the way he was describing how she said things, is I could put myself in her shoes. And it is kind of, it was fun to write that part of the book, or yeah. write that story, because I was able to say, you know, from the perspective of his, it's like, well, gosh, there's not very many cars on this road. She might be stranded a while. There's not houses nearby. Sure. And then from, and, and being in like, well, those are all things that tell me I should help her because there might not be anyone else to help her for a long time. But then from her perspective, that whole, there's not many cars on this road. There's not many houses nearby. Oh my gosh, he could kill me and nobody would find me for days. Not you know, to mention he
0: he's went. come by twice now. There's something might be right. up with this, right? Like,
1: right. Yeah. Like, is he kind of stalking me? Is he, you know, evaluating me? Is he a predator? And so having that perspective shift of the state, you know, it's the same information, but viewed two different ways yeah. and how that those two different views can be completely opposite of each other. Not yeah. wrong. Neither one of them were wrong right it was just a different perspective
0: yeah and i i would hope because it certainly did for me right and and i've thought about it before but reading it you know i'm like yeah like i'm hoping that men look at that story or any other and say okay when i'm feeling or thinking i need to do this thing or be this person for this other individual let me take a moment and see how they might be seeing the situation and then realize, okay, as much as I want to help, maybe I should just back off and be cool because they're approaching me the way that they, they need to be or the way they feel they need to be. And that's more important than my need to help them. Right.
1: Right. And, and, you know, and we could go on, on that conversation of, well, if you felt Really concerned? Say, you know what? I'm going to sit over here in my car. I just want to make sure you're safe while sure. you're changing your tire. Yeah. Or, do you have a cell phone? Is it charged? Is it working? Like, if you can't get that changed, do you have someone you can call? Or would you like me to call a tow truck? Would you like me? You can offer things that don't involve physically changing the tire yourself. Yeah. And that gives the person, you know, the person stranded on the side of the road options that they can pick what they feel comfortable with, but without you forcing the decision on them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the points that you make and, you know, if you're in the space, you hear it regularly, right? But I think in the self-defense community, we get caught up in the bad guys wearing the ski mask and jumping out from behind (laughs) the bushes or grabbing you in the white windowless uh, candy van, you know? Um, which seems to be a thing in some schools, but the reality of it is, and I forget the percentages. I think it's like, what did you say between 70 and 80% of attacks on women are from someone they know, whether it's the drunk uncle, the ex, the coworker, whatever. And that only 21% of attacks happen from perfectly good strangers right and we'll talk more about the stranger yeah. thing because that's the one point that i first thought i disagreed with you on but we'll do that here in a minute but you know your book starts out with a story i think her name was daria is that right daria and mitchell yeah. if I remember daria that. daria sorry.
1: it's not her
0: it's not her yeah, 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 real yeah. name but sure. yes, yeah. yep yeah yeah julie and bob um yeah yeah uh well
1: you can use daria as not a real name yeah way. it's in the yeah, book yeah. that way yeah
0: uh daria and mitchell uh pretty much the 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 crux of chapter one and as i was reading this story i couldn't help but think that this sort of thing helped happens more oftentimes than we ever think it does right and it's all behind closed doors as it usually those sorts of things seem to usually be but i i just had this chill I don't know what about the story made me think that but that was my takeaway from the first chapter is like you know and and you give your trigger warning and that's great because I'm sure there's going to be others that can relate to that story either directly in some shape form or fashion or that they know somebody that has a similar story right and unfortunately that's right. more oftentimes the case with women isn't
2: it
1: yeah yeah I mean there's a lot of and it kind of goes into where I talk about the social mores and, the, and yeah. the contracts of, <clears throat> you know, and I don't want to get on a pedestal when I talk about marriage, but there is this pressure to say, if you're married, you're married for life and you work it out and through thick and thin, good or bad, you know, health yeah. and illness, all these things, sickness and health. And so while that is completely, I agree, it's commendable, all those awesome things, but that can also get used against individuals who are in a domestically abusive relationship. And this goes for guys too, because like yeah. it's, it's ironic is the more I'm digging in there's behaviors from females that I'm like, that is a controlling behavior. Oh yeah. That is a, uh, an emotionally abusive behavior. But again, it's not talked about, it's not recognized. Yeah. And so then it's put into a corner or it's brushed away. And I think there are a lot of people who are in relationships and because they love this person, because they're like, okay, he or she is just going through a bad spell, you know, and that's part of the cycle of abuse. And, you know, we could talk for hours just on that (laughs) alone. Yeah. But I, 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 that's where it comes down to is if someone comes to you and in confidence and shares something. But that took a lot of guts, like that took a lot to get to that point, because it's scary saying that because there's a lot of guilt, like, well, what did I do? How did I, I'm this successful, you know, entrepreneur or upstanding citizen in the community, and who's going to believe that this is happening to me behind closed doors? Or what is that going to do to my reputation in the community? Like, oh, we thought she was a strong-willed woman. And so there's a lot of fear about coming out and and being honest about it and that fallout socially. I mean, on top of emotional and financially. And you know, if there's physical abuse, because yeah, if you don't put that good front when you're out on the, in the community and out seeing people with family, with friends, then you may pay for it when you get home.
2: Yeah.
1: So it's this really interesting. I shouldn't say interesting, that's almost a flattering word to use, but it's this really difficult place to be in because as much as you want to tell someone and want help, you also know that it's, it's got to kind of you know, rip the bandaid off in Darius' sense of how it all transpired. And I don't want to ruin the punchline for the listeners, you're going to have to buy the book,
2: but right.
1: it, she, she, it literally was like a switch, like, okay, done. And now I need to get the heck away and I need to, you know, go into hiding. And that was to do that. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of work.
0: Well, you know, in society, right? Like I think that story mentioned the fact that, you know, her, her abuser, her husband, her, you know, turned out to be husband, right, got got to that point, was in law enforcement. They were, she was a pretty strong businesswoman herself, right? They were seen, I think you use the terms, the power couple in town, right? Like, they were viewed that way. And, you know, you got to figure that coupled with, you know, maybe some religious expectations put on their marriage, too. There's a lot that Makes folks feel like they're stuck, right? Mm-hmm. And that's true, whether man or woman. But I, I do think, and you mentioned it already, but um, I do think that's the difference. And that was a takeaway for me too. There are so many, as you call out, social mores, so many constraints and expectations, the way that you're raised, that girls and women deal with and go through that men don't you know men are the breadwinners men are the ones that club you over the head and drag you back to the caves you know men don't have those same you know we're not raised in the pink dresses and taught to be princess whatever you know it's completely different from men in that regard than it is for women and uh, I'm glad that the book talked about those constraints and expectations, because that is a definite difference in society between men and women, at least here in the States.
1: Right. Yeah, that's true to point out, like Western civilization. And conversely, men are given very specific. Well, you are the head of the household, so you make the decisions and you are you know, the one in charge. Yeah. And so what kind of messaging does that send when then it gets twisted in their head? Again, perspective, not necessarily wrong. They, that's how they were raised. That's the culture their upbringing, whatever it may be. And so what you or I may say, well, that's controlling. Then in all actuality to them, it's a completely culturally accepted behavior. Yeah. And so again, men, men are like, well, wait, what, what do you mean that that's, of controlling behavior so that that's that's how my dad was that's how my all the men in my family are yeah and so it's it's really about not placing judgment on anyone it's really saying you know getting to the core for that person like well what do you want how do you feel and that's where it gets sticky and messy because it all depends you know there's no definitive yes you should move out Yes, you should get divorced. No, you shouldn't do that. Yes, you should do that. Because yeah. everyone has that different when we talk about the oodaloop. Yeah. Everyone's orient filter is going to be different based on how they were raised. So
0: Yeah. And you know, how one is raised applies whether you're male or female, right? But mm-hmm talking about the constraints and social expectations, the social mores and whatever, you know, the point that you made in the book, which was a takeaway for me, is that those constraints and expectations necessarily, unless you've sought out training and and the education, those constraints and expectations and social mores might limit your ability to react to bad things or recognize strange behaviors or bad things coming your way. And again, this is true for men and women, depending on how you've been raised, but it's important, you know, and uh, kind of a random thought in this is that you know, this is why thinking through scenarios for yourself, you know, kind of getting back to what we should be doing to help ourselves avoid these situations or get out of these situations, or at least recognize them Is thinking through scenarios and what you would do, especially if you've been brought up in a way that, you know, these things are all foreign to you. This is really a thing that that you should be doing for yourself is thinking through scenarios and what you would do. And I think in the book you talk about uh, when you were at the bar and you play the game of what would you have said, right? What would you say? And that's just another way of thinking through those scenarios. And I know this is kind of getting into the the weeds of techniques we can use, but um, the importance of thinking through the scenarios and things that we can do to, better prepare ourselves when our youth and our parenting the way we were raised whatever is kind of worked against us in a lot of ways right right Does that makes sense in
1: one way because some yeah oh, no the mental strategy you you know your mind what is it your body can't go where your mind hasn't right and one example because again things that i was you know the life hack that we think, well, that's common sense, everyone knows. And then we're like, oh wait, they don't. Like this is kind of a segue, but had some a couple friends of ours over last night for dinner, and the the guy is accepting a new position kind of in the trade industry and teaching the next generation in trade. Yeah. Really cool. Um, but he goes, What was absolutely mind blowing to me is he said the fact that if I told this, I've told this young person, Hey, can you pull the nails out of this board? And instead of grabbing the hammer and using the claw end to get the nail out, yeah. he was literally pulling with his hand. And he goes, it's just those type of things where you're like, Oh my gosh. He's never used a hammer before. Yeah. So When I said pull out the nail. He literally thought I meant pull with your hands to get the nail out. And that's the kind of thing where we say mental strategy. We say, you know, think through what you would say is maybe that seems daunting. And then I say, okay, especially to anyone who's been in a relationship, how many times have you thought through an argument, a discussion before you've had the discussion because you wanted to have the good witty comebacks or you wanted to have all your facts or you wanted to make sure you said it in a way that you got your point across. So you do this skill every day. So now all I need you to do is think about if somebody's creepy in the elevator, what are you going to say instead of getting in the elevator? If someone's standing too close to you and it's a coworker, or it's a family member or if it's a stranger on the street, what are you going to say? Think through those things. It's the same thing. And then they kind of laugh and they're like, oh, yeah, I do through conversations before i have yeah. them all the time yeah I'm like it's the same skill, same skill.
2: yeah
0: and so uh just to forewarn everyone listening so i i read your book <laughs> i told you before we got started like i think okay. i started writing things down i don't know why but i started writing things down about Page roundabout page twenty five and finished up around one thirty-five. So I have like six pages of notes and they're just <laughs> random takeaways. And if you read the notes in my book, they're in order of the pages that I read, but for our talk today, I'm kind of all over the place. Um and that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> bear with there's, us. There's,
1: my book is not chronological order. So you could read a chapter because it pertains to maybe a situation you face and it would make sense.
0: You really, so you really you could. You jumping yeah. around, yeah.
1: You jumping around is totally fine.
0: Yeah. So one thing I didn't uh, prepare for ahead of time, I was going to ask you, um, and I, I've got it pulled up here. Sorry, I think I do anyway. I thought I did. Just a second. I want to get this right. Mm-hmm. Chapter two, and I don't mean to go in order. I'm not trying to do this in order, but this chapter stood out to me because I had this question, and I think I know the answer already, but chapter two is the real enemy of women. And I know you talk about um, something entirely different than I thought, but when I first thought about this, I thought it was ignoring your intuition, but it's not.
1: Mm, that was what you thought was the real enemy.
0: That's that's what I thought it was going to be.
1: Dang.
0: Yeah, Ooh, because like we talk that. about that a lot, right? Especially in context of women. Right. I mean, let's face it. Women are known for their intuition, their gut feelings, their spidey sense. Well, you know, women never f- refer to it as spidey senses. But, <laughs> you know, uh, for the guys out there, it's their spidey sense equivalent, <laughs> right? But that's what women are known right. for. And, of course, women, uh, men have it, too. But... This is what women are known for. So when you said the real enemy is like it, it, ignoring that, but it, but it's not.
1: Not for my first, not not in my opinion. But I, yeah. you know, that's a, another very. I would say if there was, you know, enemy number two.
0: Yeah. No, that was my we still have to get
1: thing. to the dig and get to the foundation of well, then why do they ignore their intuition?
2: Yeah. No. Why
1: do they start? So then you got to go a
2: little bit deeper.
0: But, you know, I made a couple of notes, just my takeaway um, in general, and I kept coming back to it. And I even wrote it later in my notes when I was thinking through things. Like, really, what we're battling against are those social mores and the way, the expectations, the lessons, and the things that we give our kids, right? Like, it really is combating things all the way back to childhood, and ingrained the things that are ingrained in us, right? And how we're supposed to react right. and behave. And so I get it now. Like that really is enemy number one. Does I matter?
2: agree. Matter of fact,
0: (laughs) no, I know. I, I, and you know, I I wrote, matter of fact, I I wrote my notes. I'll tell you exactly. I said, overall starts with children and it's programming, right? It's all about the programming. And then when you're an adult, how do you work against the very fiber, the very fabric that you've been, that has established you as a human being?
1: Right. And if you never question that, um, because we're all evolving, and our opinions can change, contrary to what people might say. Yeah. You can change your opinion. You can change your mind. Um, I use the example in the book of the movie Runaway Bride yeah. and the eggs. How does she like her eggs? And it's little things like this, like that. Yeah. Where, okay, well, this is the messaging. So I like scrambled eggs and you just kind of stick with it because you don't really ever go, well, do I really like? scrambled eggs, is that really my favorite way to eat eggs As the favorite way that I want someone to make eggs for me or whatever? Or is that what I've just been told all along? Yeah. And if we don't, as parents or as society, accept that our children naturally are going to have a lot of our same attributes, a lot of our same likes because they're forced. <laughs> right. To, you know, when they're little, <laughs> right. they don't get to decide where we're going to eat. It is mom and dad's deciding. Yeah. Um but then when they get to be adults, then it's our responsibility, in my opinion, as good parents, guides, guardians, mentors, whatever role you play in yeah. helping shape the next generation is saying, okay, well, Do you want to do that? Is that what you want to do? Do you want to go to college? Do you want to join the military? Do you want to travel? Do you want to, you know, go to the trades, whatever it may be, and making sure that they are deciding what they want or how they want to live their life? Because otherwise it just gets really messy for them and then they can get stuck in that people pleasing. Well, that's what mom wanted me to do. That's what dad wanted me to do. Is that really what I wanted to do? you know, and and letting them fail, (laughs) you know, like they are going to fail and not to, I feel like we're getting off into like a parenting thing. No, no, no. It's, it's,
0: no, I think it's totally important because what comes to mind as I'm listening to you and thinking about what you wrote about, I, I, I distill it down to childhood is about conformity and there is an opportunity, and I'm not saying everyone does does it wrong, I'm not making any judgments when I say this, I'm just saying that it, it seems like if you were to summarize things, a lot of youth is conformity, right? And listening and doing what your parents tell you and whatever else. There is probably, to your points... I think that at least in part you were trying to make in the book is that there are opportunities for us to do a better job in helping our little ones become individuals and their own people. Right. And that may, may that may mean not conforming all the time. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. I, in my opinion, my role as the mothers, my two boys is to, Give them responsibilities, teach them morals, and to help them discover who they are so that they can go out and be productive members of society
2: Yeah,
1: that are good humans, that care, that are strong-willed, that are resilient. And that's not going to happen if I'm telling them how to live their life and telling them what they can or can't do, obviously, in the context right. of Ages and development, right? But is you you can't protect them in a bubble, and you also can't neglect their their little brains and their developing brains. To you, you got to help them figure that those kind of things out. Otherwise, they're going to always have that dependent who comes to you and needs you to make the decisions for them yeah. because they've never figured out how to make their decisions and what they want.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Uh, Again, we're going to be all over the place here. So my next (laughs) thing is, I wanted to start, I wanted to just be able to say I got a bone to pick with you, Kelly, but I really can't say that because after going back and thinking through it again, I was like, okay, no, in context, it does make sense. But and you're not the but first.
1: Somebody pr- else might have this, so bring it up.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, and you're not <laughs> the first place I've seen it or read it or heard it said, but this notion, which, you know, not to date myself, but I'm old, um, you know, this notion of don't talk to strangers or stranger danger just doesn't work. And I was like, wait a minute, it completely works. Because that's what I t- was taught when I was little growing up. But I do remember very vividly my mom and dad giving me that lesson. And it was in mm-hmm. context of me being home alone, potentially, or even not, mm-hmm. right? And someone coming up to our front door and knocking. And that I shouldn't just open the door or, be- or engage in a conversation with this individual because it was the purest form of stranger, right? So, in my mind... Right. The don't talk to stranger completely is effective or could work, but I think it's important that you wrap context around it because the to the points that you made in your book, you know, we're, we're interacting with strangers day in and day out as our, as our children are. Um, so I, I get it, but the, I think the important takeaway there is again, going back to kind of one of the points started out with is that, Bad things happen by complete strangers a fraction of the time. Bad things more oftentimes happen with people that we do know. Or that are in our lives or worse yet are very close to us in our lives. And that's where I begin. Right. Uh, that's where I understand that it begins to break down because ultimately at the end of the day, you're playing the averages, right? You're playing the odds. Like, yeah, don't talk to strangers, but that's only going to cover about 10 to 20% of what you're going to be dealing with out there. Right. The other bad things right. that are going to happen to you are going to be happening by the neighbor or your doctor or. You know the drunk aunt or uncle or the ex boyfriend or girlfriend for that matter, um, right? Yeah. So <laughs> when I when I started breaking it down by the chances of something happening bad, I was like, okay, the the don't talk to strangers. It's not that it doesn't work. It just doesn't cover the majority of what folks likely are to experience in their lifetime,
1: right? And if we're focused solely on a stranger, yeah. what's the definition of a stranger? It's kind of to your point of this is, my parents told it to you, somebody that came to the door of the house, which yeah. there just aren't many door-to-door sales.
0: <laughs> not anymore, anymore,
1: no. Like that's, that's, that's not a thing anymore yeah. in most places, but it's the, we have to watch for strange behaviors. And mm. that may be kind of going back to our other conversation is, Okay, that might work in a certain context. But as we get older, part of experiencing life is meeting strangers. I've gotten to do some really cool, amazing things and go some amazing places because I had conversations with strangers. Yeah. Who, you know, built relationships, became mentors, whatever it may be.
2: Sure. And so it makes
1: me sad to think that there are people who don't like talking to people they don't know out of fear. Like, yeah. yeah, introvert, you don't want to talk to people? Totally get it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, again, context Matter, But to <laughs> me, <yeah. laughs> again, if you want to talk to people is to have that ability. Like, it's your choice not to talk to people. Yeah. Not because you're afraid
0: to talk to people. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So, this next point that I want us to chat through that I th- struck me as interesting Is that you talk about this um, time that you and a friend, and I just, I don't know where you were or what you were doing, just what was in my head as I was reading the story. Uh, I pictured you outside on the sidewalk um, and you were engrossed in deep conversation with your friend. And this perfectly good stranger walked up and asked. Uh, I forget what the question was. He asked, but basically he was interrupting the conversation, and you guys just pretty much blew him off, right? And you go on to just. Dis- oh,
1: this is the Girl Scout cookie.
0: Yes, yes, the girl, yes.
1: Girl, okay. Yes,
0: and he was. Yes. He was complete. You know, you you've wound up noticing that he was. Dress poorly probably street guy right and I was thinking to myself okay well would you have and you know you talk about one of the points that you're talking about in the book is the right to be direct and being direct isn't being rude but you're well within your right to be direct and who cares if they get offended or whatever else if it makes you better or preserves your space however you want to frame that right but right. When I was reading that, I'm like, okay, were you direct and firm with him because you observed the fact that he was a street person approaching you and interrupting your conversation? Like, would you have been, you know, the direct asshole if he had been a good-looking guy in a three-piece suit coming up to you guys to strike up conversation? And then, you know, is that all the more reason why you need to be paying attention to your surrounding is so that you can acknowledge when you need to exercise your right to be direct and enforce your boundaries versus being a little bit more open to interaction. Does that make sense?
1: Uh, Yes. Yep. Nope. And I love it. I think that's a great question. And what's so fascinating to me is I actually want to pull my book out right now and be like, Wait a minute. Did I describe that gentleman as a street person?
0: Well, I don't know that uh, you said street, but you <laughs> did describe him. It's around page 64, by the way, if you want to know. Um, oh, that's so <laughs> uh, funny. Don't and ask. And for your me.
2: listeners, follow yeah. along. Right. Now. Follow okay. along. Before. Right. <laughs>
0: um, I told you I took copious notes. Um yeah i can't remember exactly but i think you said something about the way he was dressed or maybe the fact that it was evident he had a ha- had not had a shower recently whatever it was <laughs> and i thought well you've well, got to be paying attention to your surroundings to some degree to even pick that up pick up on that right, right. But so would that have changed your with, reaction
1: i think it would help with context because i honestly um so yes, we were standing on a sidewalk outside of the entrance to this to this area, and you know, like I said, it's kind of one of those buildings that has it's not a strip mall, but it's got oh, it's got the coffee shop inside, and there's the you know, in Minnesota, our liquor stores are separate, so there's a separate entrance to the liquor store, but it was all right there, and we were doing our long goodbye on the sidewalk. Yeah. After we had had coffee, and so actually, my back was towards him, or like I was kind of bladed I would say cuz I don't like standing with my back to doors anywhere but so I didn't actually see or visually judge him yeah until he interrupted us and it was hey you guys selling girl scout cookies <laughs> and then I turned to look at him and I was said no
2: yeah and
1: and he was like no no are you selling girl scout cookies uh no, no. <laughs> and then he then he got kind of like annoyed is I would describe it and said, I was geez lady. I was just trying to make conversation. And I said, yes, there. Yep. And he went on his way. And as he was walking, you know, in my peripheral and then confirmed as he was walking away, he had come from the liquor store was nine o'clock on a Friday morning. And he had a Brown bag.
0: (laughs) That's right. He (laughs) He was drinking a little early.
1: That was maybe right. But again, I don't remember him looking bad or looking like he hadn't showered. And then I remember doing an Instagram video actually right after that and saying, I'm not here to judge. You could have worked the midnight shift and that's your happy hour.
2: (laughs) Serious. Like there's bars.
0: It's five o'clock somewhere.
1: It is exactly. They would have happy hour from eight to 10 in the morning because the night shift was getting off. Yeah. And so it's like, well, just because they're getting off at a random hour and the rest of the world is morning. That's their evening. So I said that like, I'm not going to judge you do you, maybe you're on vacation, right? but the sole thing of coming up and interrupting us with a question that made absolutely no sense. If he had to come up and said, excuse me, can you point me in the direction of this? Or I have a quick, you know, sorry to interrupt there. Those are those. Oh, okay. Can I help you? But when you come up with a statement and you know, joke, like you said, I'm, I know I look good, you know, young, but I'm not a Girl Scout.
2: Age. Yeah, so right. to
1: ask that, <laughs> it was so obvious that it was an intentional interruption of two people he didn't know. Yeah. And we were having conversation and it was that quick. It was that simple. I didn't go get back. You know, I didn't right. yell. I was just like, no, no, no. So I didn't give him anywhere to go with that. Yeah. And I didn't take it personal when he was like. Try, he, you know, the last jab of, cheese lady, I was just trying to start a conversation. Yep.
0: Yep. Got and it. it.
1: I would never, if he walked by me right now, I would not be able to pick him out because it was just not enough significance. But it was that whole, my friend that I was talking to, as soon as he walked away, kind of laughed and was like, oh, you know, he didn't know who he was talking to. You train on this stuff or you teach this stuff. But what I've found over and over again is women don't know what to say. Yeah. Because they don't want to be rude. So yeah. it's me saying, telling, being direct isn't rude. And that's the point I want to get across, as well as our earlier conversation about mentally strategizing what you would say.
0: Yeah, going back to that whole scenario, and if I'm in this situation or this happens or I'm asked this or the, this individual approaches me, what would I say in response to whatever they've got for me? Um, not too much after that particular story, you you make the point, which I completely agree, because I su- have suffered and suffer in the spirit in tra- of transparency. I have suffered and continue to suffer. <laughs> when it's someone that you're close with, someone that you know or have known, it makes it ex- that much more difficult to enforce your boundaries, you may have boundaries. You know, like they say. I mean, I think even Randy King has said it at a time or two. It's one thing to set boundaries for yourself. It's uh, it's entirely different and uh, arguably more difficult activity to enforce those boundaries for yourself. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. the difficulty, especially knowing that most bad things happen with people that we know or that we have trusted maybe or at least know to some degree and maybe even have trusted to some degree or another it makes it excruciatingly painful to enforce those boundaries because you feel guilty if nothing else at the end of the day right what do you have to say about that yep
1: (laughs) um (laughs) here here yes i concur wholeheartedly agree yeah. And, and again, it's like having that conversation at all levels. It's not simply about enforcing boundaries with strangers. It's not always about sticking your arm out and yelling, no, get back. Right. Well, that would work in some scenario.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You also need to think about, well, if it's my coworker and I have said things before in a polite way, because we always try to do things in a nice way first. We ask, hey, can you back up? Then we tell. You need to back up. And that and then sometimes we get stuck. I've I've asked, I've told, I tell again, I need to use a little bit more force, but they're still not listening. What are my repercussions? Um I was sent a an Instagram video. I'm not sure what, what where it was originally posted, but it was a video of a woman sharing a story and her and her friend and the driver and a you might've seen it, Jim. She's retelling the story of the driver was like, take your clothes off or jump, take your what? clothes off or jump. And she was, I'll send it to you. It was on the, um, oh my God, Clint Emerson's podcast, uh, hundred deadly skills. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's saying, I didn't believe him. And I was like, I'll jump. And he was like, no. And basically this went on a couple of times and she wasn't backing down. I'm like, Nope, I'll jump. And, <laughs> He was like, just kidding. I'll take you back to the boat to the left. And then brushed it off. And, oh, you were just overreacting. He wouldn't have really done anything. And I'm like, that's that sticky spot. Is mm. we, we say what we want. We enforce our boundaries. We verbalize what we don't want. Again, depending on the scenario. And then it's really easy for those manipulative individuals to back a pedal. Oh, it's just kidding. Just a joke. You, you, gosh, you're so serious. You, And that's where with the boundaries, it gets so hard because then if it's a friend of a friend, well, that person's always that way with people. They're always super friendly. They always give long hugs. They're known for their bear hugs. I don't care. That makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Then I should be able to say, nope, I don't want to give you a hug. And it shouldn't be a big deal instead of shaming me or making me feel bad, which then that manipulative individual feeds off like, I've got everybody in the group on my side and we're making my target second guess their intuition yeah, and second guess their boundary. And so that's where it can come, you know, it's simple and, and it doesn't always come in the form of a threat. It could be as simple as somebody, says, Oh, all the coworkers are going out for happy hour. Come with us, Jim. Come out for a drink. Come on. You know you want to have a little bit more Woodford.
0: Right. Have some bourbon. Yep. Be right there.
1: Like No. (laughs) Yeah, right. I know. You don't have to twist my arms too hard for those types of social settings. Yeah, yeah. But if you don't want to, maybe you have a prior commitment. Maybe you're really tired. Whatever it may be. You had a long day. You say, no, thanks. Then we, as society, have to start accepting that because that's a boundary enforcement in a different context. And we're not going to get better at enforcing boundaries if these little micro threats that come in from our friends, from our coworkers, from our family, keep chipping away at that boundary enforcement. Because then pretty soon it's, okay, fine, I'll come out for one. Well, then the next time somebody asks who maybe is the workplace bully or workplace harasser person is doing that, then guess what? Now it's a set in a precedent and now it's, oh, well, if I just keep pushing, you know, kind of, I hate to say this. And this was one of the first things I thought of when I read Gavin De Becker's book, because I'm like, this yeah. is sales 101 <laughs> is you got to get seven no's before you get the yes. Right. So keep asking. Yeah, you know? keep asking. And that's a kind of mixed message of if you keep pestering, they'll finally wear them down. And that's what those manipulators are looking for yeah. in your circle. They're testing your boundaries. They're testing your boundaries. And if you kind of like them, they're, you know, they they bring cookies every Friday. They, they
0: keep so. you engaged, don't they?
1: They keep you engaged. Yeah. They, they play the game of I'm, I'm your friend and I'm nice to you, but then they're, I make you do things you don't want to do. Even again, it could be as simple as going out on a night you don't want to go out. Those are still boundary issues. And <clears throat> that's where I see boundaries come up over and over again. And so when we say kind of black and white, enforce boundaries, but we don't talk about the nuances and how they might appear and how they might show up and how you need to be prepared to think about the different levels and the different ways you'll enforce your boundaries, we do a disservice then to anyone we're trying to teach boundaries to.
0: Yeah, and I think in that is kind of a lesson, too, that it is as if not more important to enforce or be willing to enforce those boundaries with your loved ones and your co-workers and your spouse and your boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever. Because, again, going back to the point that we've made, most bad things happen with people that you know. Enforcing a boundary with a stranger at the end of the day, eh. That'll save you, what, 20, 21% of the time, right? Being able to enforce those boundaries, even at the micro level, like we're talking about, with those that we know becomes extremely important, right? Not that bad things happen all the time. I mean, I say it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can talk about... Active shooters, rape, murder, robbery, car break-ins, whatever. In the overall scheme of things, with the population as large as it is, with the drugs that are pumped into some people with impunity, we're lucky that a lot more bad things don't happen with more regularity and frequency than they do. So it's not like this is happening at a mass scale. But if we look at the statistics and the odds – we really should be more willing to enforce our boundaries with folks that we know than folks that we don't know.
1: Right. And, you know, as cliche as the memes make it sound is if somebody doesn't respect your boundaries, do you really want them in your life? Yeah. That's a question to ask yourself, to to every individual to ask themselves. In a work setting, you don't always have the luxury. Maybe it's a small company, you don't have an HR department. Maybe it's your boss, so who do you go and talk to?
0: But then it
1: comes down to, well, is this the right place for you to be employed? Or do you need to start looking for employment elsewhere? But if we're not talking about the way things really look and really happen and the micro threats that everyone faces, then what ends up happening, like, probably the worst you know, backstab story for me came from a female and came in an, a work setting. And so to think about, okay, well, that wasn't a, um, you know, a relationship is like my husband and I, it wasn't a stranger. It was somebody who I knew who I never thought in a million years, but the emotional damage Then, and then the guilt that I carried with that, that then impacted other decisions. And that's kind of the snowball effect that a lack of boundaries can create and will brush off little things that aren't such a big deal. Okay, fine. I'll go have one drink at happy hour. Yeah. Okay, fine. I'll go do this. Yes. I'll help you with your project at work again because you missed your deadline (laughs) again. Yet again. Those little things then add up and it snowballs. And soon, then we start to feel it in our heads of, oh, I'm not very good at boundary enforcement. Yeah. And so, in context, or in the grand theme of things, depending on the context, that can have an impact when it comes down to other situations. And again, not that drinking is the reason why somebody gets raped, but if you've always just given in when somebody says, come on, just come out for one, just come have one, then what happens when that cute stranger in the bar approaches you and tries to convince you, even though you're friends and you want to leave, convinces you, hey, stay, have one more drink. Well, if you've always said, ah, yeah, one more drink, it doesn't hurt. Yeah. Well, in that situation, it could go very bad. So, boundary enforcement with Everyone is so
2: important. Yeah.
0: And sometimes, you know, like we said, it's hard. Like, I've I've had to enforce some boundaries even more recently, and I feel guilty at times. And not that my other friends have guilted me at any point, but they'll say things that make me second guess what I'm doing, right? So those added pressures make it all the more difficult sometimes to enforce those boundaries and i'm talking about people you know right like i'm talking about friends or family uh for example um all right so changing gears and this is not victim blaming at all but i pretty much spelled out everything ahead of time to you i have to ask so in the book you talk about this story where you and your friend go to a bar and, of course, you get the 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 infamous hit online. Hey, can I buy you ladies a drink? <laughs> and then the dude comes and sits down and pops a squat without asking, just assuming he's got the end now that he's bought you drinks and you've accepted. So I'm just going to fire all this stuff off at once because as I read the story, I was like, okay, let's just talk about – the. You know, avoiding situations before they happen, all of that stuff. So, um, you know, why did you guys, and, and this is not from a judgmental perspective at all, I'm just asking questions because inquiring yeah. minds want to know, why did you guys ever even consider going to a bar by yourselves two ladies when you know things like this happen in bars? Why did you not just outright refuse the offer from the get go? And mm-hmm. then, if even still in that situation, especially if it made you uncomfortable in any manner, why didn't you just get up and leave and go, hey, we'll go to Olive Garden or whatever to sit down and finish our <laughs> chit chat, right? Like,
1: I want some unlimited breadsticks. Dang yeah.
0: It. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, we should be able to, we shouldn't <laughs> live like we kind of, or have to live, so to speak. We shouldn't have to do these things. But, you know, it's a, it's a question that I ask myself. Like, there's the ideology, the idealistic way that I want to live. And yes, I should be able to sleep with my windows open and my front door unlocked. But reality says, even though right or wrong, reality says, no, I got, I got to lock my front door, front and back door at night before I go to sleep. Can you talk through maybe some of that?
1: Sure. Um, so I want to put a little context too. Yeah. It wasn't, I wasn't out. It was two of my friends that were out and telling me the story. Okay. But this is a scenario that happens probably 99% of women. Yeah. At some point in their life. Yeah. So I can relate yeah. To the story. So I'll, I'll, I'll still put it back in my head. Um, you know, first question, why would you go to a bar where that could happen? Well, that's the problem. So then, am I like not supposed to go to a bar? And that yep. part of that, okay, we could debate all lo- all day long. Well, yes, you should be able to, but is that the smart thing to do? Yeah. To me, I don't do good with anyone telling me I can't do something. <laughs> right. <laughs> so if you said you can never go to a bar again, Kelly, with just one female friend, guess where you're going Because yeah. that's not. Um, I'd be like. F that, right. I'm going, and I'm taking, <laughs> you know, a couple tools with me. Yeah. It'll be fine, yeah. trust me. Yeah. Um, so so to me, it's that's just not realistic. That's telling people not to live their life now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To flip the coin and say, I know this location that they went to. You know, the woman who was telling me the story knew, she's like, we went to this bar. I, what You know, I kind of half expected it. It wasn't really that surprising. So yeah, choose your bars wisely. Choose your location. There was a bar when I lived in Southern California that I was my Cheers. I could go there <laughs> by myself. Hey sit Kelly. In the bar, talk to the bartender. Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was awesome. I loved that <laughs> place. I could walk there from my apartment and stumble home.
0: That's awesome. You know,
1: on the nights that that's what happened, but I felt comfortable enough being there, and it was a small bar. And so to me it's like, okay, well just choose your bar then. Yeah. Don't put yourself back in a situation. Yep. No, you're not always gonna know. No, depending on who's there, that's gonna change the dynamic. But being aware and that's where it's okay, before you walk out the door, what's your intention? Yeah, my intention is just to go have a good conversation, share some laughter, maybe share some tears. Yeah. And sit with my best friend and, and kind of commiserate on life. Okay, yep. well that's our intention. I have no I have no desire to talk to anyone else or no desire to make a connection. I'm not looking for, <laughs> you know, right. Mr. Right, right, whatever it may be. If I know that ahead of time, that's going to inform my response. And then, yes, if somebody offers to buy a drink, I might say no. Like, no, thanks. I'm, we're just here talking. Yeah. Or, yeah, sure. Get me a water.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> no. Completely throw right. them but off. Again, Absolutely. Right. Sparkling water would be yes. wonderful.
1: Yes. Thank you. San Pellegrino, please. <laughs> on ice. Um, and then he's got to go find San Pellegrino in a bar. Right. But it's those kind of things if you can mentally prepare because you should be able to go out and do
2: those things. And Absolutely. I would never
1: tell someone, no, you can't do that. I'm going to say, okay, it's your choice. And I'm going to, we're going to talk through. I'm going to give you all the tools so that you can go unprepared and have that in mind. Because if you're going to walk into the bar, you're going to carry yourself like you're with intention, like you know what you're doing, you know why you're there, that you're going to give off an aura that doesn't necessarily invite other people to not come up. Not very and, warm
0: and inviting, yeah.
1: Yeah, you're not going to be warm and friendly and look like, hey, I, I want you to come over and start a conversation. Um, that kind of goes into the refuse or accept. And as I say in my book, well, what was your intent on in going out for the night? Cause both of those right. women were, were somewhat newly divorced. So they could have potentially been out looking for the next yep. for Mr. Right. They weren't
2: goat roping as they so- say.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that the word?
1: Oh my goodness. Oh, that's great. So what is the intent? And yeah, if you feel comfortable, then leave, Yeah, just leave or let the bartender know. i I And maybe I'm not thinking of every single bartender I've ever known, but most bartenders, well, they're the sober ones, first of all, and they're watching and they know dynamics and they can read body language because that's part of their job. And so depend on that bartender, talk to that bartender, get to know them or your server. What's your plan? That's the biggest thing is having a plan because the last thing you want to do is escalate a situation where you're getting met out in the parking lot yeah. because you started mouthing off and making fun of or ridiculing someone and now they their ego has taken over mm. and now it's in, become a social violence type situation and it, you've just escalated it. And that's where being direct knowing what your intent was before you walked in, is going to help you in the long run. And yeah, if you want to end up going to Olive Garden, you go
2: for it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, all you can eat salad and breadsticks. Just say
2: right. <laughs> this
0: was in no way intended for an ad for Olive Garden. Um, right. so Although
2: we will take royalties. Right. We, we
0: will take royalties if you're so inclined,
2: <laughs> um, get you
0: our addresses. So, again, you know, I warned everyone we were going to be all over the place. This is just a book you need to get and read for yourself, and you'll see there's lots to think about and lots to talk about. So, I think Hollywood has done a disservice as it so oftentimes does, (laughs) much like mainstream media. Yeah, I know it's great. I I know I'm about to go off the reservation here and talk crazy talk. (laughs) Bear with me. (laughs) So in your book, you talk about this uh, notion of persistence, specifically with Mm -hmm. men being maybe, maybe, maybe being overly persistent with women and you talk about a story where a woman goes on a date, and I'm going to mess up the story, right? I'm just kind of giving the cliff note version here, but (laughs) she goes out on a date. She quickly decides or decides over the course of the date that it's not for her. She kindly lets the guy know, and he just continues, right? And it gets to the Mm -hmm. point where he's sending her flowers to her place of business, which is – kind of a red flag in my mind anyway, but on and on and on and on. And then her coworkers start to shame her into thinking, you know, he's a super sweet guy. He just wants to go out with you. Blah, 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 blah. Why are you being such an asshole to him? Blah, bitty, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But as being a movie buff that I am, which clearly you are not, because if you've never watched Rocky before, I'm disappointed in you. But there are millions upon millions okay hundreds upon hundreds of situations and illustrations and examples of persistence that might be not so great so we'll start in the ver- reverse order because you did tell me that you and your hubby got through walk the line which I think is a great movie because yeah. I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan anyway uh oh,
2: very cool
0: and um, you asked me, how in the hell does this movie have anything to do with what's in my book? And I'm like, wow, it wasn't obvious, which is kind of what makes it interesting to me. Because I think it's a perfect illustration of persistence beyond n- normal, right? Like, whatever normal mm-hmm. is, which is kind of what I want to ask you about. Like, at what point yeah. does legitimate persistence really become a concern a th- or even a threat right but to answer your question about walk the line uh johnny cash was beating june carter down i mean the last <laughs> time he asked her to marry him was on the bus while she was asleep right not to mention right. all the times leading up to that point Could he have been perceived as the creepy guy with bad intent? Uh, Maybe. He was known for sleeping with copious amounts of women, at least I gathered from the movie, right? And he was doped out of his mind on pills at the time to boot. He really was not portrayed as a great guy, right? But he just kept pursuing and persisting. (laughs) <laughs> after june carter right so to me that was like a great illustration of okay this guy should give this a rest right like she's refused him at least a half a dozen times if not more and that's just what's in the movie and then there's this scene which you really need to see rocky anyway and shame on you for not um <laughs> there's this scene i need to jim huh Yeah, no, I know it takes up a lot of time. But there's this scene in Rocky where Rocky Balboa gets Adrian back to his apartment for the very first time. I don't remember if it was their first date or what, but it was early on in their relationship. And I can't remember if they had a scuff or a disagreement or whatever, but there came a point where she was ready to leave his apartment. Okay. And he puts his hand on the door and blocks her from leaving. Now, the story turns out to be a great love story and yada, yada, yada. But in that moment, even watching it recently, I was like, oh, shit, that's not cool. (laughs) (laughs) By the standards that we're talking about, right? So Hollywood has done this disservice to society. Again, I'm talking crazy here, but You know, these sorts of things that we're talking about are illustrated continuously. Like you talk, you mentioned the, um, I forget how you said it, the promise, the unfulfilled or the unsolicited promise. I'm not going to hurt you, right? I'm not going to hurt you. Right. Even in the Adam project, which I know for a fact you haven't seen. um,
2: (laughs) You're
1: correct.
0: With um, uh, not. Oh, gosh, the guy that played Deadpool. Anyway. Um, yeah, Ryan Reynolds. Yes, it's actually a good film, but there's a point where he, I won't give the story away, but there's a point where he's interacting with a character in a scene and he says, I promise I won't hurt you. It's completely out of context, right? It happens to be a kid in the scene, but, you know, unsolicited promise, right? I, I promise I won't hurt you. Uh, so Hollywood continues continues to bombard us with these things that we're talking about. Really, shouldn't be happening, or things that are red flags, or things that we should avoid. What say you? Oh,
1: this is such a good question. So,
0: <laughs> Not really a question. I rambled on for like ten minutes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and to try and keep it to think, to walk the line, to me, and again, interesting perspective, and you know. Feminist listening to this um, could blow me up on this, but my perspective was okay. She did say, "No, go get clean." Like there was times where she no, yeah, I and wasn't with him, so yeah. it, it wasn't so much of a codependency. And in the end, when she stuck by him and her parents, I think came, yeah, and he was going through his withdrawals, and you know she was there as his friend. Well, I was like, wow, I'm really surprised that she did that. But to me, she wanted to be there. And so it wasn't that he was chasing her all the time. Yes, he was persistent and I want to marry you. But he also wasn't, again, portrayed in the movie. He wasn't physically harming her or he was. Yeah. He wasn't being creepy. Like yeah. She was in love with him too, it looks like, or were, was his friend. And that's, again, where that mixed messaging comes in is the society was like, well, if we're good friends and we're supposed to stick by somebody as they go through really tough times in their life, or I'm married to someone who um, has an addiction problem and I'm supposed to stick by them through the, those tough times and not just leave them. So to me, it depends. That movie didn't portray it where he was trying to control her, where he was trying to, um, bait and switch. Yeah. It, it, again, that's a person's perspective and we didn't live their lives. You know, we're not in yeah. their heads. But to me, that was okay. Well, she was gone. She came back. It'd be a couple of years. Um, going back to the story that you mentioned of the woman who got, went on the date, not interested, started sending flowers to work. Yeah. Yes, that persistence was annoying, but it wasn't threatening. It wasn't a threat. It was more of an annoyance. So, from my, what I understood is this woman was more annoyed at her coworkers projecting onto her their wants. They wanted their husband to send them flowers at work. And, oh, wasn't she so lucky? that this man who she didn't want to date and had very clearly said, I do not want to date you kept sending flowers. So that's almost where she was more annoyed to her. It was like, we're not in a relationship. I'm just, you know, you're not escalating a threat. You're not showing up at my door. Now I've heard stories of that, of a friend who was driving around uh, somebody, a guy she knew gave her a call to say, Hey, how are you doing? And, so good. Tired, long day, and he casually mentioned, like, "Oh, should I stop by? We could, you know, have a cup of coffee or a drink on the your back deck, or you want me to come over and talk?" And she said repeatedly, "No, no, I'm just really tired. It's been a long day. I need to get home and need to let my dog out." And when she got home, he was sitting at the end of her driveway.
2: <laughs> Not and a good then, sign. But
1: she, it, or in the cul-de-sac type thing. And when she pulled into her garage, got out of her car, then he started walking up her driveway, and she was what you're you're here but in her mind well I don't want to be rude even though she's standing there with you know her purse and a bag and her food in her hand and the dogs barking in the house and he's continually having conversations and she told me she's like in that moment I felt rude to Hmm. tell him to leave and I was like you told him repeatedly not to show up at your house and he did he was the one who crossed the line. You had every right. I said, in fact, for me, if it would have been me, I would have used sarcasm and humor to be like, what are you stalking me now? <laughs> kind of to call it out and be like, you're being stalkerish.
0: Passive aggressiveness works again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. You know, and, and yeah. being like, no, I told you I didn't want you to come over. Yeah. And so that's not. And yes, I have not seen Rocky. When you said that, it makes me think of the, the opening chapter story because he goes to block her do- when she's trying to leave when they were engaged and having mm. a fight um, again context matters yeah. did you f- if you're in that situation if you're an individual in that situation and someone is blocking you from leaving and you that sends a message to your intuition or you get that instinct or the hairs in the back of your neck stand up take note.
2: Yeah.
1: that's not okay because I, I do, I describe my husband as being very persistent in getting me to marry him because <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I had gotten divorced. He had been divorced and I was like, I never want to get married again. This is yeah. ridiculous. You know, whatever. Yeah. And he was, but he did it in a way that wasn't threatening. It yeah. was, nope, I'm, I, this is what I want and I'm willing to be patient. I'll be your friend. I'll be wherever, but I want to be in your life. And so, in that sense, you could say, oh, yeah, persistence, but it was a good thing. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm assuming, because, yes, I haven't watched Rocky, I'm assuming <laughs> that was that was the undertone of that relationship.
0: Well, you know, I think, you know, it can be hard to, to discern, right? And so, that was my question. Like, what's the moment, and this may be a whole different podcast, right? But what's the <laughs> moment to refuse that persistence, And what's the, it's not a moment, it's an ongoing thing, because I get male-female relationships on that level. There's a game to it, too, right? But at what point does it become negative? And I think you said it. I, I think it's going on your gut, which is a great segue into the next topic that I wanted us to talk about, is the importance of... Listening to and embracing our intuition, what our gut's telling us are for us dudes out there. You know, it's our spidey senses, but right. you know, the importance of listening to our intuition and what it's telling us. And even if it's wrong, you won't know what's wrong until after the fact. That's okay. But in the moment, it's important that you listen to it and not just hear it, but respond to it. And and mm-hmm. I'll take that a step further because you asked me to look at your book from a male's perspective. The, the irony of intuition is that both men and women have it. We always talk about it like we were saying earlier. We always talk about it in context of women, but the reality of it is both men and women have it, and both men and women ignore it. And that's what we need to work to get past, right? Like, even if it hurts somebody's feelings or offends someone, we really need to get comfortable with the notion of listening to our intuition, but also acting upon our intuition.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes,
1: I wholeheartedly agree. And I think the nuance between men and women is sometimes instincts. It's described as instincts in men a lot of times and intuition in women. Feminine intuition male instincts, gut instincts. So really, it's the same thing. I know the definition in the dictionary varies slightly, but it's primarily the same thing. For me, listening to you describe dismissing an intuition signal conjured up in my head a personal safety situation. If you avoid a dangerous situation, you may never get that confirmation that you did the right thing because you avoided the danger. You avoided walking down the dark alley. You avoided that person, whatever it may be. Yeah. What I try and lean into with women is reminding them of how often their intuition is already and how much they listen to it and trust it. And so I get them to kind of think of it in a personal relationship way. You know when your best friend's having a bad day. You know when your spouse, your partner's having a bad day. You know when your kids are are having a great day. You know, it's not always a negative. Sometimes your intuition tells you really awesome things. Sometimes your intuition tells you, it's just going to be a great day today. I don't know why, but it's going to. And then, yes, you get the promotion or something happens and you win the raffle drawing, whatever it may be. And maybe if we took a little time to think back, in those scenarios and say, well, how did I know that I was going to get the promotion? Well, it's because the partner at the firm smiled at me or or shook my hand or said good morning this morning and he's never said that before. Well, that's your intuition at work. That's you picking up verbal cues or nonverbal cues, depending, and giving you information about your environment and woo-woo predicting the future. (laughs) Okay, these are good signs. So now all it is on the flip side for personal safety is doing the same thing. Hey, you know what? I noticed that individual in the lobby watching people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I noticed it almost like he was casing people. He was a predator watching prey. And so that guy's up to something. I don't know what it is. And then later, yep, that guy stole somebody's purse and ran out the front doors. And you're like, I knew it. I saw him standing there watching people. <laughs> Yeah. And so it's the same thing. It's our intuition. It's reading nonverbal. And so to me, what I try to do when I'm doing classes or trainings or presentations is talking about these skills in that light of almost a, of a positive, because we need to look at our intuition as positive. And um, there's a book by Marie Forleo called Everything is outable And in it, <laughs> she offers a perspective switch. On fear, saying fear is our ally, fear is our ca- friend; it's our caring messenger. And I'm this is not her quote verbatim, but that really threw me for a loop when I read that because I come from the fear of something negative happening or fear when it comes to personal safety. But I loved her perspective shift because if fear of something happening to you and not knowing what to do causes you to take a self defense class causes you to start researching different self-defense tools and figuring out what's going to work best for you and then actually practicing with it and carrying it on you. That's a good thing. And so if we can get that perspective shift and it plays on the words of fear-based training doesn't work because our body shuts down, our mind shuts down because it's a dark place. But if we can incorporate play, if we can incorporate skills in a way that people are enjoying themselves and having aha moments then then they're going to more consciously realize these skills so it's the i know my kids are getting sneaking snacks out of the cupboard because of the door hinge (laughs) week that i hear you know moms don't have eyes in the back of our heads but i know when (laughs) where my kids are in the house by their walking and so it's these It's like you use these skills all the time yeah you've just not locked out of them from a perspective of personal safety. And so if I can make women laugh and guys too, again, I can do these presentations from men too. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: I think uh, your, your testament to my book is men are going to have just as much of an enjoyable experience listening to my presentation. They're not going to be like, Oh, this is just such a, no. this is a chick presentation, no. you know, this is
0: for
2: everybody. It is,
1: yeah. is, it's, it's You're going to laugh a little bit. You're going to be like, oh, my gosh, yeah, that's true. I never thought of that. This is very interesting, um, very fascinating. And I never thought of it. And I love uh, presenting to other uh, experts, other professionals in that threat assessment space, self-defense space, executive protection, whatever it is. Because to me, they're probably the most frustrated because they know it so well. Yeah. Like, you and I love this stuff. We read yeah. stuff on it. We listen to stuff yeah. on this, on yeah. situational awareness. It's become part of our subconscious. And it's really hard to pull out our subconscious and teach these skills at a conscious level to somebody who has no history or background. Yeah. So, for me to be able to give little hacks, like, hey, well, this is this skill. You know, the oodle loop is driving a car. You know, and, and explain it that way, then everybody can relate to it and get a different perspective. And then that next step in my mind and where I foresee my training is going in the future is, okay, so now we've established the base of situational awareness skills, the foundational skills that you've always had. And now you can consciously articulate how you knew that that person was watching people and that they were their body language is obviously uncomfortable and was being too interested in something like that woman's purse. She was paying too much attention to notice when she wasn't going to be looking for the opportune time to steal her purse, whatever it may be. And then I can go, okay, now it's scenario-based training. Now we're going to go into that predator mindset a little bit. But people, in my opinion, that I typically work with aren't there yet. Like to get them to try and go to a predator mindset to see that criminal aspect and to look at the world through that lens in order to see those behaviors quicker. You, it'd be like going. It's foreign. Uh, Doogie Hauser from, yeah, it'd be so foreign and it wouldn't make sense. And then they'd get frustrated because they couldn't get it. Yeah. So this is, hey, we're starting out. Here's situational awareness 101. And then we're going to graduate through criminal mindset 401 class. Yeah. And so that gets me excited. That gets me going every day because I know there's so much more that I can do that is not going to be me teaching situational awareness 101 for the rest
0: of my life. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we've gotten to the point where I get to have my jollies i get to put you put you, put you on the spot
1: <laughs> you know in context i can say but that sounds really bad
0: outside, <laughs> you know? innuendo um no <laughs> right. not meant that way at all i have two <laughs> questions that are okay while not innuendo driven are completely meant to put you on the spot and not in a okay in a
1: Put
0: me in the hot seat. Yeah, put you in the hot seat, not in a negative way by any means, because we're talking about good stuff. But I have two questions. I can give them to you both at the same time, or I can give them to you one at a time. I'll let you choose. Um, And I don't know how I'm going to ask these. Hopefully, they'll make sense as I'm stumbling through how to ask them, (laughs) but I think they're relevant in today's times for sure. Okay. Well, let's, let's, uh, give me the first question. Okay. So, um, I, I, again, I'm going to struggle on how to perfectly ask this question, but hopefully you'll pick up what I'm putting down. Okay. So, um, and this is just what I wrote for myself. So I'll ask it as I wrote it, uh, with, with men getting softer, and women getting stronger, what does this mean, do you think? How will this change the game?
1: Maybe it's a pessimism in me um, coming through a little bit, but that actually worries me. Because when I think of men getting softer, I think of um, the negative aspects of that. There's men not being strong mentally, being resilient um, being physically fit, being able to be a partner to their, their, you know, female, their, their wife, their girlfriend. Cause to me, what I'm seeing is this huge pendulum switch, um,
2: yeah. pendulum
1: wing, excuse me. And I, that worries me because I married my alpha strong husband
2: because
1: he was my equal. And so while that can be a challenge (laughs) more days than not because we're both stubborn, we're both very driven (laughs) headstrong. (laughs) Yeah, we're very headstrong. That is a challenge some days because it, it can take a bit. It's a give and take to say okay, I realize I'm only thinking from my perspective. I need to take a step back and see it from your perspective as well. And that's really hard sometimes for the, the person you've been in a relationship with for almost 14 years. Yeah. So, I don't see, like, strong women. I'm like, yeah, be strong, but don't lose your femininity. Like, mm. That's what makes you unique mm. and makes you a woman. It's interesting. So why, like, you yeah. can be strong. I can totally be an alpha female. That doesn't mean I'm going all G.I. Jane. Or <laughs> that doesn't mean that, you know, I have to, like... Start yeah. chewing tobacco or right. driving a semi truck. But if I wanted to, sweet. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's cool. But I can still also be feminine and be strong. And I need my husband to be masculine and to be strong. Yeah. So that's how I would answer that question. And no,
0: and I appreciate that works. viewpoint. We could
1: talk for hours.
0: No, I, I, yeah. And I know it's a loaded question. And I ask it because personally, I see youth men uh, and i'm not saying it's 100% i'm not saying it's across the board i'm not saying it applies to everyone that's not that's not what i'm saying i'm seeing right we've got to get all
1: these disclaimers right
0: i got to get all these disclaimers out so i don't get chewed <laughs> out later at some point but i i do see in today's youth uh, generally speaking that masculinity is going away by and large right and at the same time, I see a movement, at least in some circles, which I think you're a part of, and rightfully so, of making women stronger, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a, <laughs> a duel there, right? And so what does that mean in the long run? And that's why I asked that. Um, my second question is related, and I think you kind of sort of maybe touched upon it. And I, again, I don't know how exactly I should ask this, but I will just kind of give it to you as I wrote it originally. Women that still choose traditional roles, whether that means, Uh you know, stay-at-home moms, however you want to label it. Like, I don't want to put labels on that, but for women that still choose traditional roles, can they still be capable in their own right in the context of what we're talking about on this podcast and what you're trying to do for women at large.
1: Okay. Just make sure I understand. So basically the traditional roles, can they still be strong women or can they still
2: yeah, yeah.
1: learn to defend themselves? I guess. Yeah, I,
0: that was probably a shitty way for context. me to ask the question, but yeah, for those women that are comfortable and dare I say want to maintain traditional roles as a woman that we know, are they can they still be this dynamo that you want them to be? Are the two oh my gosh. are the two possible?
1: Okay, again, this is off the cuff you're answering me but my first thought was honestly i think they're stronger than most of us because they are already fighting what society is telling them like oh you should have a career you should do this it's like nah shoulda could just go away is i think they are very strong because they're standing in their beliefs and that's where strength is is owning who you are knowing what you want and going for it no matter what society says no matter how society judges um your lifestyle because society doesn't have to live your life you do and you only get one of them yep. so you live your life the way you want to and i to me <laughs> like i thought of the pioneering women like we just watched yellowstone we haven't watched yeah three yeah. yet but i think about okay that's a traditional, very traditional role. Yeah. And those women were hardy. Hardcore, well. right? They, you know, they, they knew how to shoot. <laughs> you did not mess with them, <laughs> but they were homeschooling. They were taking care of the homestead. So to me, I think that's a very interesting question in the sense of to me, I'm like, any woman who can stand in who she wants to be and has strength in that and Goes confidently forward is a sharp woman. I mean, in the motto of or the symbolism of an arrow through a diamond is courage or confidence moving forward. Yeah. And my whole mission is to help women get to the place where they can live life on their own terms. And that's vague for a reason because I I am me and I'm still trying to figure out who I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. So to speak. As I'm we all still are. Yeah. Myself. I'm still evolving. So who the hell would I be to tell someone else how they should live their life, how they should defend themselves? That's why I don't. The prescriptive model is so against what I believe in. Uh, If someone comes to me and says, well, should I carry a mace or a stabby tool or a knife or a firearm? And they're going back and forth. My first question to them is, what do you want? What do you want to care? What do you feel? What is your lifestyle? What's going to work best for you? Yeah. So I would answer that question of, heck yeah, you do you.
0: You do you, boo.
1: (laughs) You do you, boo. And I will be 100% cheering you on and supporting you and celebrating your successes as you discover who you are. Because getting back to that situational awareness, carrying yourself with confidence, if you have confidence in yourself and who you are, you're going to carry yourself differently. Whether that's in cowboy boots and wrangler jeans and a button down, or that, you know, stiletto heels and a suit or whatever it may be, or a gypsy flowy dress and ribbons in your hair. Great. Because you're going to carry yourself differently if you have confidence in who
0: you are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Kelly, this has been great. I appreciate you coming on and talking. And uh, you didn't pay me to do this. We're just talking about your book. (laughs) I thought it was awesome. I would read it again and again. I would recommend it to anyone, both men and women. Uh, Sharp Women, check it out on Amazon. Uh again, I think it's available on Kindle, soft cover, hardcover, uh, reasonable. It's well worth it check it out. Uh, I will Thank also you. say that we should go back and talk about our podcast 25, talking about situational awareness, the first podcast you and I did together. And, and the one that <laughs> I, I have no idea how it worked out this way, but my podcast 25 is what if thinking through scenarios. So I'd recommend both of those uh, to go back and listen to for sure. But I appreciate you coming on and uh, talking to us.
1: Yes. Thank you for having me. As always, I enjoyed our conversation. I want to do a deep dive. And as a teaser, your listeners, I've actually been having some conversations about the term toxic masculinity. Oh, what gosh. is that? Is it a thing? Is it fake or not? And it's, it's rumbling around in my head. I tell you what, it's...
0: I can, I, mean, I can answer that. I
1: could... <laughs> well, I'm sure you could. But that's where it's so fascinating to me right now. Yeah. And I'm really processing a lot of different things and trying to take in different perspectives because it's it's fascinating to me to your point of I'm trying to raise masculine men. I'm trying to raise good, strong boys because I'm thinking about little girls. I like I don't have daughters, I only have boys. Yeah. And I want future generations of girls to have good partners Yeah, that will take care of them and be their partner. And so it's, it's interesting coming as a mom of boys is, well, what is toxic masculinity? And is this a thing? And what is what are they really saying? What does that really mean? So hmm, that'll have to be a podcast in the future, Jim.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll do that one in a heartbeat.
1: <laughs>
0: and that one's uh, got fun written all over it for sure.
1: That one's got lots more bourbon written uh, all over
0: it. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Definitely.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I was just going to say thanks so much again for having me on. It's been fun.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much.